Today I'll be reading Matthew 7, 1-6. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Thank you, Ray, for reading today's scripture passage. Jesus talks about specks and planks in Matthew 7. Why? Let's set the context. In his sermon, Jesus has been talking about what it looks like to live the culture of heaven on earth. He addresses topics like these, murder, anger, and insult, lust, adultery, and divorce, deception, injustice, and retaliation, rusting treasures, inner darkness, and enslavement to money, anxieties around food, clothing, and shelter, people who give, pray, and fast for public applause, and then see themselves as more righteous than others. What a list! There are so many things we can observe in others, and as a consequence, so many things to evaluate, and it is so easy to judge. Before we unpack Matthew 7, let's step back for a minute and remember a parable of Jesus found in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. This is a copy of Rembrandt's painting, The Prodigal Son. In the story, the father has two sons. The younger son demands his portion of the inheritance while his father is still living. Basically, he wishes his father would die. The father grants his son's request. This younger son, however, is wasteful and extravagant. He squanders his fortune in a foreign land and is left with nothing. He finds himself feeding filthy pigs, and longing for their food. He is destitute. In his brokenness and desperation, he decides to return home. His intent is to plead with his father to receive him back, not as a son, but just as a servant. What does the father do? When he sees his son coming, he runs toward him. He does not shame his son, but receives him with open arms and prepares a huge welcoming feast. Envious, the older brother refuses to enter into the father's celebration. He stands on the outside in judgment. Jesus tells this story to religious people. I find it interesting that most of us come to the father like the younger son. We come broken and demanding nothing, praying for mercy and healing, desiring nothing but grace and redemption. We feel unworthy. Over time, however, we become accustomed to being in the Father's family. We begin to think that we're entitled to things. We deserve things. We become the older brother of the parable who looks down on his broken, downtrodden brother and judges him, who sees himself as more righteous and more worthy of the Father's blessing. I would say we live in the age of the older brother. That is one of entitlement, self-righteousness, and judgment. A very casual cruelty is pervasive on social media. 
on the internet. Websites are dedicated to exposing other Christians for their heresy, moral failings, and hypocrisy. At times, I wonder what they do with their Bibles. Do they remove Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and David, just to name a few? On a personal level, I like to refer to my judgments of others as discernment. But the dark side of discernment can be a judgmental spirit. I'm sure we all have some questions as we consider Jesus' words today. What is the difference between judgment and discernment? Are we to suspend all critical thinking? When do we extend grace and when do we speak truth? Is it possible to do both? Let's listen to Jesus. In our passage, he tells us to not be two things and then to be two things. Jesus says, don't be censorious and don't be hypocritical, but rather be loving and be discerning. Here's the first, don't be. Chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The word judge has a wide range of meaning from ordinary discernment to granting a reward to condemning a person to judging in courts of law to determining a person's fate. How is Jesus using the word judge in this verse? Jesus is not asking us to turn a blind eye to people's faults, to suspend all critical thinking, to not discern between truth and error or between goodness and evil. Part of being created in God's image is the capacity to make value judgments. What Jesus does ask in his sermon is for his followers to be countercultural, to not think like the world around them or like the religious leaders. They are to love their enemies, to discern their own heart motivations. And all of this requires critical thinking. In his sermon, Jesus warns against throwing pearls before swine. What does he mean? He warns against false prophets. Obviously, he does not say that all judgment should be suspended. He encourages us to use our powers of discernment and distinguish good from evil. Later, the Apostle Paul encourages the churches to resist those who preach a false gospel. The Apostle John tells the church to test the spirits. Some kinds of judging are necessary. When Jesus says, do not judge, in verse 1, he is referring to the habit of setting ourselves over others and pronouncing their guilt before God and man. He is saying, don't be censorious. Don't be censorious. You've probably never heard this word before. What does it mean? Should we not sense things? Is Jesus against a census? To be censorious means to be harsh, condescending, and condemning in our criticisms. Someone who is censorious just assumes they have the competence and authority to pass judgment on everyone and everything. They ruin everyone's good time with their harsh criticisms. The sky is too blue. Your dog is too friendly. The zebra has too many stripes. You get the idea. 
British pastor theologian John Stott, in his book The Sermon on the Mount, writes this, The censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous toward their mistakes. A censorious person makes others say things like this. So, is there anything you do like? Will I never get it right? Will I never measure up? This person makes you feel like giving up. Of course, the rebuttal of the censorious person is, I'm not a pessimist, just a realist. I'm not negative. I just value speaking the truth, saying it like it is. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 13, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. The censorious person presumptuously usurps God's sole prerogative to be judge. He plays God. No human being is qualified to be the judge of fellow human beings, for we cannot read each other's hearts or assess each other's motives. James, the brother of Jesus, writes something very similar in his letter. He writes, There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Chapter 4, verse 12. So, the sin or defect we may see, it may actually be there. But that does not give us the right to be censorious. And in our day, we're so easily drawn into this kind of harsh criticism and judgment. The news headlines read more like moral judgments than news. Some people are fair game every day. Politicians, celebrities, religious leaders, churches, former generations, colonial powers. Those who are found to be at fault are shamed, judged, and canceled. People quickly dissociate themselves from the one deemed reprehensible and add to the public shaming. Self-righteousness is rampant. Of course, if we take this trend to its logical conclusion, we will all be canceled eventually. Every generation, every person, because we all fall short. As followers of Jesus, let's remember that only God. Only God has the authority and wisdom to judge justly. Only he can serve as the standard of righteousness, not our opinions or our ways of doing things. Let's remember Jesus' warning. If the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? We will all be called to account by God. Jesus goes on in verse 2 here. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's a proverbial saying. And the point is this. The judgmental person who is not forgiving and loving, 
but rather exudes arrogance and self-righteousness, has effectively shut himself or herself off from God's forgiveness. The principle here is the reverse of the positive blessing of Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, the beatitude where Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Here Jesus says, If you do not extend mercy, you will not receive mercy. After his teaching on prayer, Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If we have experienced the grace and mercy of God, then we will extend mercy and forgive. Our commitment to Jesus and to his righteousness does not authorize us to have a presumptuous, censorious spirit. If our pattern of life is one where we judge others continually, this reveals we just don't live the culture of heaven. We don't understand what it means to be a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. After all, who is the accuser of our brothers and sisters? Who judges us day and night before God? Jesus? No, it's Satan. He reigns over the kingdom of self-righteousness. So if a censorious, harsh, condescending attitude is a pattern in our lives, we prove we don't know God's love and generosity. If we are easily given to judgment, we prove that we do not know God's mercy and forgiveness. We must go before God, remind ourselves of God's grace to us, repent for our sin, and pray for heart change. So the first of the two don't be's is don't be censorious. The second is found in verses 3 through 4. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? Jesus may be drawing on his background as a carpenter for this metaphor. The speck is just a small particle that may irritate, a speck of sawdust, for example. It symbolizes the insignificance of the problem of the accused. The log or plank is actually a large beam, a beam upon which other planks rest. Jesus uses hyperbole, intentional exaggeration, to emphasize the magnitude of the accuser's problem. Here is another reason why we can't judge. We are all fallen sinners. We have planks in our eyes. Our vision is impaired. Or as Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 13, our eyes are bad. (laughs) The other day, I was feeling sorry for myself. My wife had mentioned something about my running habits. So I said to her, honey, I really enjoy running. Why would you try to discourage me? She gave me a blank look. You think I discourage your running? Did you forget about all the running gear and equipment I just bought you for this Christmas to support your running habits? Oh, yeah, I replied sheepishly. Plank. Commentator Leon Morris writes, Jesus is drawing attention to a curious feature of the human race in which a profound 
ignorance of oneself is so often combined with an arrogant presumption of knowledge about others, especially about their faults. We have a tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. We have a rosy view of ourselves and a jaundiced view of others. In fact, we often see our own faults in others, excuse ourselves, and then judge them for what we do. Sheer hypocrisy. A prime example of this is found in in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, In the context, uh, King David has committed adultery with Bathsheba, deceived her husband Uriah, and then had him killed. Nathan the prophet comes to David with a story. David, uh, there was a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had only one little ewe lamb. The poor man lovingly raised his little lamb with his children, like a daughter. One day, the rich man received a traveling guest. Instead of taking a sheep from his massive herd, he chose to take the poor man's only lamb and prepared it for his guest. Upon hearing the story, King David is outraged. He says the rich man deserves to die. And Nathan just looks at him and says, You're the man, David. The hypocrite harshly judges the sins of others, but fails to see his own wretchedness. The hypocrite is blinded by pride and self-righteousness. He thinks he sees the specks in the eyes of others, but has planks in his own. He uses the name of God to justify his actions, but has nothing to do with the beautiful way of Jesus. Jesus says, Don't be hypocritical. Don't be hypocritical. What's the cure? We must draw near to God, humble ourselves before God, allow him to examine our hearts and confess our sins. Before evaluating the words and actions of anyone else, we must examine ourselves, experience forgiveness, and seek healing. Jesus continues in verse 5. You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus' focus now begins to shift. He does not rule out all discernment. It is not wrong to help your brother or sister remove the speck of dust in their eye, but this delicate exercise is only for those who have removed the planks from their own eyes. As followers of Jesus, we do have the responsibility to help one another, to help each other see the specks in our eyes. In Matthew chapter 18, we're commanded by Jesus to correct one another in love. But this exercise must come from a humble, self-examined life that has removed the plank of self-righteous judgment. Galatians 6.1 is helpful here. I quote, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Ultimately, the one who feels grieved and humbled over his own sin can see more clearly and help remove the speck from others. And when we have a corrective word, our intent must always be to to rescue, to bring healing, and to restore, never destroy. So be a loving brother or sister. 
Be a loving brother or sister. When I was studying Portuguese in Sao Paulo, I studied with some people who said they were against sin and the practice of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I responded by saying that I too was against sin, but I wasn't sure why they were against the practice of the gifts taught in Scripture. Some of them then wondered whether or not they should associate with me at all. One fellow student was particularly harsh and condescending in his judgment of me. A few days later, I was in a large bookstore. When I went to pay for my newspaper, I encountered my fellow student at the counter. He happened to be purchasing pornographic literature. I had caught him red-handed. That picture of uncomfortable embarrassment is etched in my memory. The encounter led to some interesting conversations, and I had to ask myself, will I exercise mercy or reciprocate with a harsh, judgmental spirit? Those who are harsh and judgmental often have some skeletons in their closet. And when we discover those skeletons, it is so easy for us to become self-righteous. It happens in a second. A self-righteous, judgmental spirit blinds us to our own hypocrisy. William F. Warren wisely writes, After self-criticism takes place, then relationships are based on redemptive empathy rather than condemning detachment. So, We are to be loving brothers and sisters. And then Jesus warns of another danger. Jesus' exhortation to love our enemies and to not judge comes with a danger. That is, the possibility of becoming undiscerning simpletons. At the opposite extreme of judgmental hypocrisy is naive acceptance. So, Jesus warns us against this danger in verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Maybe you hear these words of Jesus and say, I understand what Jesus says about pigs, but how can he talk about my poodle in this way? It's important to note that in the ancient world, Dogs ran wild and scavenged the streets for food. They were not household pets. The Jews considered them to be unclean, despised animals. Pigs were also scavenging beasts, unclean according to the Old Testament. They could be savage. Jesus says they will attack you. The meaning is tear you to pieces. Pigs were known to be responsible for the death of little children in the streets, even today. If you fall into a pig pen, they will literally tear you to pieces. Dogs and pigs form this picture of what is vicious, unclean, and abominable. They they trample underfoot what is not food. Both can attack you. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy. In the Gospel of Matthew, what is holy refers to the gospel of the kingdom. He says, do not throw your pearls before pigs. Pearls symbolize the great value of the gospel of the kingdom. There's an old saying, never try to teach a pig to sing. It wastes your time and annoys the pig. 
What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, be discerning. Be discerning. His followers are to be merciful, slow to anger, forgiving, and slow to judge. But they should wisely discern what is happening when they proclaim the gospel message. Dogs and pigs, that language, it refers to any person who gives clear evidence of rejecting the gospel with vicious scorn and hardened contempt. Followers of Jesus should not continually put the pearls of the kingdom, the precious truths of Jesus, before them. Jesus' followers are not to condemn them, but they must discern what is happening and move on to share the gospel with others. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gives his disciples a similar lesson. And after the resurrection of Jesus, his disciples experience the truth of his words for themselves. For example, in uh, Acts chapter 13, we read this, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch in Pisidia. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And then down to verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Those who receive the gospel of the kingdom are like those described in the parable of the pearl of great price. They sell all they have to get the pearl. That's how precious it is. Our normal practice should be to exercise patience with people, to persevere with others as God has persevered with us. Here's an example. Very early in my walk with Jesus, I served as a counselor at a summer camp in Texas. One of the campers in my cabin was particularly belligerent. He complained all week long. He called home to his mother. His mother called the camp director and complained about her son's awful camp counselor. I wanted to strangle the little guy. Definitely a dog. Maybe a pig. On the second last day of camp, he was moping in our cabin. So I went in to talk to him. In the middle of our conversation, he said he wanted to give his life to Jesus. There was something in me that didn't want to pray with him. Thankfully, I had already read enough scripture. I had enough of it in my heart to know that I didn't want to keep him out of the kingdom. But it took some time for my emotions to catch up with my thinking and my actions. He surrendered his life to Jesus. Many whom we might consider to be dogs and pigs will receive the pearls of the kingdom. In most cases, we should gently persevere in our relationships with others. But there are situations where we must withdraw. Everyday life forces us to make regular evaluations. As followers of Jesus, we often face dilemmas produced by paradoxes. 
A paradox is any person, thing, or situation that exhibits an apparently contradictory nature. They may not be contradictory, but they appear to be. For example, in our text, Jesus tells us to not judge, but we are to be discerning. When faced with uh, a dilemma produced by an apparent paradox, we tend to polarize, go to the extremes. In other words, we cling to one truth and exclude the other. For example, we can emphasize grace and neglect truth, or we can emphasize truth and neglect grace. Jesus' call to kingdom righteousness can lead to a judgmental spirit, without a doubt. But the call to love our enemies can also breed a lack of discernment. How do we avoid blundering on the side of censorious hypocrisy or the opposite side of naive gullibility? How can we say no to censorious judgment and yes to wise discernment at the same time? Here are at least five things we can do. One, we can live a self-examined life under the light of God's Word and the light given by the Holy Spirit. Two, we can ask the Holy Spirit and others around us to help us identify our planks and remove them. Three, we can commit to remove our planks before we try to help others remove their specks. Four, if we discern an error in a brother or sister, we can get on our knees and pray We can ask the Holy Spirit for discernment and then, if needed, go to the person in love. We can walk with gentleness and mercy and follow Jesus' instructions in Matthew 18. Five, we can remember that the intent of correction is always to rescue, heal, and restore.